Hello, hello, hello. Okay, so I am waiting, 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 waiting for you to join me. Hello, thank you for joining. Hi, thank you for joining. I am waiting for more people. I am waiting for more people to join before I go ahead with this. Hello, thank you very much for joining. I hope you can hear me. Please, if you can, just drop an emoji or say hello back. <laughs> hi, hi, hi. Okay, so this is Aggressive Capital's How I Got Funded series. Here we get to talk to founders on how they raise funds to start their business. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Hey, Cordell. So our guest for today is Cordell and he's online now. So I'm going to invite him over. So for him to join. And in the meantime, if this is your first time joining, you are very welcome. Hi, Cordell. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining. My pleasure. Okay. So I was just going to do a very quick introduction, telling anyone who's joining for the first time what this is about. This is an Ingressive Capital's How I Got Funded series. And here we get to talk to founders about how they got funds to start the business from angel capital. And they will meet Cordell of Carryfest, and he's going to talk about himself before we go into all the money. So, Cordell, please tell us a little about you. Um, so, yeah, the quick background is uh, I'm originally from Sierra Leone, left when I was pretty young, and then grew up in the States. I was Stanford undergrad and then spent most of my career actually in finance and investing. So, I was an investment banker for a few years with Morgan Stanley in New York and London. And then I was an investor with the Carlisle Group and helped them launch uh, their first Africa fund. So um, did that for about five years. I was living in Lagos and traveling all over the region. And at some point I got inspired to start Carry First. So uh, that was about three years ago. Wow, well done. So do you want to tell us about Carry First and what you thought about Carry First? Yeah, absolutely. So at Carry First, we are a regionally focused game publisher um, specializing in uh, Africa and, and African consumers. So um, we work with game studios, particularly mobile game studios around the world, um, you know, Europe, Asia, the U.S., and, uh, and we actually have one partner uh, on the continent in Ethiopia. And we, we license their games and we are their business arm in Africa. So we do everything from uh, marketing to customer service and ultimately um, monetization. Oh, great. Sounds amazing. How did you get the idea to start this business? Um, it was when I was living in, in Nigeria. Um, I think there were a couple of inspirations. There was a, uh, uh, a U.S. company that had a really cool game called HQ Trivia. 
um, which was like a live trivia game where people competed and could earn money. Um, and I thought it could do really well uh, in Nigeria and, and across the region. Um, and once I sort of dug into that, I realized how much of an opportunity mobile games were more broadly um, and, uh, and, and how uh, in many ways uh, Africans were underserved as far as being like actively marketed to and having content localized for them. Um, and so I basically set out to try and, and democratize access um, and for the region. Great, great. Sounds amazing. So you had this, but definitely there were a little bit of obstacles or things they had to go through to make. I mean, from choosing your co-founders to working together. So tell us all that process, how you got funds to actually start it off. Yeah. So I would say, um, look, starting a, a business and a startup and running one is. Uh, more challenging than not, I would say uh, the challenges start from the beginning and and they continue uh, and it's a it's a little bit of a of a roller coaster so you have to en enjoy enjoy the moments of of peace and uh, and relative success and then and then not get too low when things are challenging but I would say so so we we started the company in the middle of two thousand and eighteen um, and uh, you know, at that time we had a prototype for uh, our first game, but uh, but no money yet. And so the first thing I had to do um, is go and try and raise angel funds. And um, fortunately, I you know had worked with a lot of people who had money because I worked in finance, um, but they had no idea what a gaming company did. Uh, they had no idea whether gaming in Africa made any sense. Um, and to be completely honest, they weren't sure whether I, you know, had the tools to be an entrepreneur, right? Because I, I had worked in big companies wearing a suit and tie and, you know, lots of resources and, and polished sort of. Um, and so, you know, it took some convincing, but I think people really backed me personally as opposed to the company. Um, which is okay in the beginning, right? Um, as long as you get the cash and you can get started, um, that's really sort of, that, that's all that matters. So when we got started, I raised uh, about a one and a half million dollar um, angel round. Um, and that's what got us through uh, 18 and, and most of 19. Um, and, uh, you know, we had some success in 2019. We had the number one game in, in Nigeria uh, for most of that year. Um, and it felt like things were kind of on, on the up and up. But, um, you know, we, we had a hunch that this wasn't, that wasn't the business model that was going to allow us to build a billion dollar business. So, so at some point we pivoted and then uh, had to raise more money. Um, and that was in early 20. Um, so in early 20, we raised two and a, two and a half million dollars roughly, which is when uh, Maya uh, and, and Aggressive reached out. So, so that's when uh, they became an investor in our company. And we changed from making games to publishing games, um, which is an entirely different business. Uh, we essentially had to start from scratch in, in a lot of ways. Um, 
And, but it's turned out to be, um, we think the right decision. And, and then, uh, and then the one that was in the news most recently was we just closed our series a, uh, a few weeks ago. So it's been, it's been a, a long journey, I would say. Yeah. Congratulations on that. It's well done. You Thank you. But if I get you correctly, the first one from angel bootstrap at any point. Uh, so we bootstrapped, but before, basically before I left my job, as we were building a, um, a prototype. So, uh, before there was any team, uh, we were working with like an outsourced development shop in India, uh, and basically paying them to build a proof of concept. Um, but as soon as that was ready, we went out and raised third party capital, raised angel funds. Um, and Look, I, I, I have a personal theory ab about this, um, and it's basically that you should try and separate personal risk from financial risk as much as possible. So, for example, if you decided I'm going to start a business, I'm going to quit my job, I'm going to put my entire livelihood on the line for this thing that's like uncertain. And, you know, if you do the math, the statistics is more likely to fail than not, like that's a lot of personal risk, right? You could be doing something else. Your parents might think you're an idiot, you know, you, you know, whatever, right? You're gonna get an ulcer because you're gonna be super stressed. Um, if you then take all your personal savings and decide that you're gonna bootstrap it, you've now taken that risk and you've like multiplied it. Um, and and I think it's it's good for alignment in some ways, but I don't think it's healthy. I don't think you can make like very sound decisions. So my view is uh, one party or sets of parties take personal and career risk and then another set of parties take financial risk. And that's why investors exist. Wow, amazing. I think you're the first person we've had here who's actually talked about this. And it makes so much sense because as a founder, you're putting in everything, everything. So you have somebody with the money. But then the hard part is usually getting even you said you know a lot of people who had money for someone probably don't know what would you say you right that helps you to get money your business yeah look it it's different at, at different stages um so the first capital um honestly you scrape and claw and talk to anyone and and you take money in i, w I don't want to say on any terms but but you're not that um discerning i would say and so in the beginning honestly it's just having people that know you and like you and want to be supportive um and so the first thing is like whatever you're doing before you start a company like do it well right like be a good employee, be there for people, build relationships. Um, because in the beginning, there's really nothing for them to go on, right? Like you come with a deck, maybe a prototype, um, and you're telling them that you're going to build a billion dollar business. Really, all they have to go on is you. Um, so your first capital, I think, is really just being, uh, is, is just relationship capital, is, is my view. Um, so that's in the beginning. And then over time it changes, right? Like your, your seed round, um, is what's considered, uh, what they consider like 
founder market fit, which is like, do you have the right team? Do you have a big market that's attractive? And are you the right team to be able to do that? And then series A is a lot more like product market fit, which is like, what have you built? Do people want it? Is there data that shows that people want it? Um, and if you get capital, you know, you know, can someone expect that you're going to be able to deploy that productively? So I would say it changes throughout, um, but there, there are some rules of thumb, I would say. Okay, thank you very much. Um, someone was saying a comment that you couldn't hear me. Um, can you hear me now? I do hope you can. This is how I got funded, and I have a deal of our best here with you today. And he's telling us how he got funds to buy his business from angel invested to sell, and currently the one they had. I think. And so, if you have any questions, drop them in the comments. We will definitely answer them. Bell has talked about how to raise money from angel investors, and now talk a bit about raising money from venture capital. What friends talked about the different stages. Friends from getting money from angel went VC. Yeah. So, so the big thing with VCs um, is that they they don't know you and they don't have a lot of time. Right, so they see a lot of decks. Uh, they do a lot of pitches. Most of the time, they'll schedule thirty minutes. Uh, by the time you get through intros, you have fifteen minutes and probably like five before they decide whether they're bored or not. Um, and so, you know, I, I, there are a few rules of thumb that I at least go by. And the the first is to go out uh, really widely. Right. So uh, we spoke to in this round over easily over 100 investors. And in our first, uh, I would say, three weeks of fundraising, we probably had 70 calls, right? Intro calls. So someone once told me, like, your chances of getting capital are fixed, right? The percentage is fixed, whether it's 2% or seven or 10, um, you don't know what it is, but it's fixed. So the only way you increase your chances of getting money is talking to more people, right? You, you increase the denominator. Um, and so that's the first thing is go out really widely. I would say the second thing is be prepared. Um, and preparation for uh, fundraising is one, having your investor list. So knowing who the entire universe of potential uh, investors is for your business based on things they've done before, based on geographic remit, based on relationships. So one, you need to have a really long list. Two, you need to get warm intros. Um, and sometimes those can take time. So you want to have your intros. You want to get to know people before you actually start fundraising. Um, and then the third piece is like your materials, right? You need to have a deck. That deck needs to be good. Uh, I probably, like, if I think about our investor deck, it's probably, like, V70 or something, right? Like, I would change it sometimes after every meeting, depending on things that people stumbled on or they couldn't understand or I felt like we weren't clear. Um, I would add things um, based on things that we learned along the way. Um, and so it's really important to make sure you have those things prepared. 
less important is a financial model, but you need to have it because some people care. Um, so you need to go widely, you need to be prepared, and then, and then you need to run a process, right? Like, I would say this. So our second round was about two and a half million dollars. It took us probably a full year to raise. Um, our most recent round uh, was six. It's about to be topped up to seven. Uh, and it took us four months, three and a half months, right? And like, we're no smarter, more good looking or like better at our jobs than we were before. Um, but this time we ran a process, right? Like you have all your stuff ready. You tell people all at the exact same time we're fundraising. This is how much we're going to do. You set up meetings back to back. Um, and you make sure people know that they have to make a decision in a timely manner or else they'll miss out. And, you know, venture funds are kind of like, it's kind of like popularity contests, right? Like once people know other people like you and other people are committing to give you money, then there's a little bit of FOMO. And so making sure that you have like a critical mass of conversations at the same time, um, it really helps as far as like uh, speed and, and certainty. Thank you very much for that. Very explanatory. I see that come from different states. But how did you know it was time for you to move from one state to the next state to another state? What were the indicator time to raise again? Yeah, so so there 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 are really only two reasons to raise money. Um, well, there are probably three. Uh, one is you're running out of money, right? Like you look at your runway, you say we have four months. If we don't raise, we'll be dead that's when, you know, you can start your fundraise, right? Uh, the second is there's an opportunity in front of you that becomes like very tangible and you can either, you either need money to achieve it or you can go much faster. You can go much more quickly um, to do it. So for us, we were signing uh, licensing agreements and for a while they were coming in slowly and then they started coming in more quickly. And there were a couple of big ones, which we knew we were about to sign. And in order to be able to execute on those, um, we needed capital, right? So that's the more like ambitious one. You raise money because there's an opportunity and you need it to attack that opportunity. And the third, which might be a little bit controversial, but I don't think is, uh, is you raise money because it's available, right? Um, like right now, um, there is a lot of interest in certain segments uh, of certain markets, right? FinTech, for example, is a really, really hot market. Some geographies are really attractive. Some business models are really attractive. And capital in some circles is like, almost entirely free, right? Like in Europe, you have to pay basically for a bank to hold your cash, right? So people are looking for yield. And so sometimes you raise money because it's available and it's available really, really inexpensively. And, um, and it's just the smart thing to do. Um, I won't say who, but there's a friend of mine who's like a CFO for a business that's raised 
uh, now a few hundred million dollars over uh, about nine months. Uh, and he said, when the market's paying you to raise money, uh, then you do it. So it's one of those three typically in, in like my experience. Amazing. And I do agree with you. I think a different stage, as you grow, you want to probably scale. And the next one would maybe be money, like you did mention. But then you also talked about the fact that your business was you know, people were interested in it. So it made startups need to come to that point where they're interested in or VCs and investors. Interested. So, what did you do to make sure that your business was interested Sorry, for investors to want to put their money? Yeah. So look, I think the first thing is you have to solve a, a, a problem or fill a need, right? Like um, VCs want to make money um, and, and, and they need, in order to do so, like your business needs to be around in 10 years because uh, all the money for startups, like Peter Thiel talks about it, all the value of a startup is uh, typically 10 years out or plus. Um, so the first thing you have to do is you have to solve a need. And that's why some of your like startup purists like YC um, will put so much emphasis on um, iterating on product, reaching product market fit, doing absolutely nothing else until um, you've done that. Um, so the first thing is like you need to fill a need. Um, and the easiest way to know if you've done that is to ask someone to pay for something, right? Build a version of it, see if someone will use it or pay for it. If not, figure out why not build another version of it. Um, so that's like somewhat mundane and maybe seems obvious, but like if you, if you don't, if you don't have something of value or you're not building something of value, then it's a tough place to start from. Um, but after that, you know, there's a lot of optics, right? Because the cool thing about early stage venture is there's not a lot of information available, right? Like I used to work in private equity. We could get 10 years of historical data, you know, thousands of lines of like financial metrics, and we could run regressions and do all kinds of stuff. Like, you know, when you're investing in a seed stage venture company, you don't, there's not much to go on. And so beyond like your estimation of product market fit as an investor, beyond that, it's like context clues, right? So make sure you have a good team. Um, make sure that team has complementary skills, right? Um, so someone who knows tech, someone who knows business, um, probably uh, someone who understands, who has some like domain or market knowledge. Um, make sure that like, you know, the team slide, if you like, if, if you make the team slide as the first slide in your deck, like, is it sexy, right? Like, are people going to be like, oh, yeah, I want to give those guys money. And if not, then like, go find another co-founder or go find a co-founder. Um, I would say those are the two biggest things. Like, it's product and team for a while um, and, and learning how to tell your story. Okay, thank you very much. Now I'm going to go to the comment section and ask you some people who are watching. So, Victor, say, what kept you motivated during the pandemic? Uh, 
I mean, during the pandemic, there were positives and negatives for us as a business. Um, I guess what kept us motivated is that we had a belief in what, in the long-term vision of the company. Um, and, you know, the pandemic and the belief in that didn't change um, with COVID. Um, in many ways, because we're a digital first business, because our business sort of helps people engage in the virtual world, um, whether it's like connecting with their friends, having fun, making money, um, you know, COVID reinforced the need for businesses like ours. Um, and so we were motivated because the vision became more clear and, uh, and, and the need for, for our company, uh, I would say became more palpable. Um, now personally, I would say, uh, it was at times challenging, um, but ultimately you just, well, now you're getting, now we're getting into psychological realm, but, uh, for me, I just focus on the work. Okay. Thank you very much for that. So the next question is from Beach Idea. And the question is, what advice do you have for someone who really believes he has a brilliant or economy changing idea, but has no or resources to even get started or get it? Uh, find a co-founder. Uh, because you're, if you think about it, um, a co-founder is a couple things. One, it's someone who is going to be in the trenches with you, who's going to work for no money, just like you're working for no money to try and build a version one of this idea. Um, and importantly, it's a really good test as to whether you really do have an idea or you are able to sell the idea that you have, right? So said another way, um, I really believe that I can create the fastest car in the history of the world. And I think that that's going to make a billion dollars. Um, but I don't have any money, et cetera, et cetera. The first question is, can I convince one other person um, to dedicate their time, their energy, and their capacity to this idea? And if you can't, then you either are not persuasive or your idea probably isn't very good. Um, so the first thing is to co find a co-founder and co-founders are free and co-founders are important because they, they end up in the trenches with you. They're going to live and die by this. Um, and they give you someone to rely on um, emotionally, um, practically to, and, and, obviously, or hopefully they have a set of skills that you don't. Um, so that's definitely the first place to start. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Zach. I think at this point, actually, I'd like to ask about your co-founders. I know that you have two co-founders. So could you tell us yeah. a bit about how you came together to start the business? Cool. Yeah. So I, I have two. Uh, one is a lady named Lucy Hoffman. Uh, who I've known now for probably about 12 years. Um, and Lucy and I knew each other from our first jobs. Um, we were investment banking in New York and Morgan Stanley right out of college. And we didn't work closely together, but we got to know each other. And, um, you know, she moved to South Africa eight years ago and has been 
running, helping to run early stage businesses ever since. And I took a different path. And so with her, you know, we happened, she happened to be leaving her job right about the time when I decided to start Carry First. And it was one of those things where it wasn't really a co-founder situation. It was like, hey, I'm to the point of like, the first thing you should do is find a co-founder. It was like, hey, I have this idea. I just quit Carlisle and I'm going to go start a gaming company. Uh, like, would you come and help me out in New York for a few months and, and like help me build it, right? And, and if, if she said no, and if everyone else that I spoke to said no, then like, I should probably reevaluate whether starting a gaming company is a, is a reasonable idea. Um, but fortunately, I think probably in part because of the idea, in part because of like her like trust um, in me, she joined and, and we started the company together. Um, my second co-founder uh, is a guy named Tino. He's from Zimbabwe, but has lived in Cape Town for about 15 years. He's a, a world-class software engineer and engineering manager. And, um, and he came on about five months after we started the company. And it was one of those things where we knew we needed um, technical expertise in the company. And we had worked with outsourced development shops, but you realize that you know, startups are really, really hard and you can't be halfway in a startup right? Anyone, anyone that you're paying by the hour cannot be aligned with what you're doing, like period. Um, and so we knew we needed a technical co-founder. Um, and, uh, and we met him through an advisor of ours, got to know each other. And uh, in time, um, you know, it's been like he, like he was, was up always there from the beginning. Um, so I got very fortunate extremely fortunate with my two co-founders um, that they're both extremely talented. They're both reasonable human beings. Uh, we can talk through issues and they're aligned with the vision. Um, that helps a lot um, and is not always the case. Thank you very much for that. I think that answers the question of how you met them and how you met them. So another question we have here is from Titi Lokwe. You said build something that people If you build and your idea is revolutionary and people might not pay for it today, but will pay for it in five years, how do you find funding? That's a that's a tough question. <laughs> um, so 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 look, the, I think there are a couple scenarios where maybe that makes sense. Um, there's one scenario which a lot of people employ now, particularly in social, which is um, my, my end user, right? If you think about Instagram, like none of us are paying to use Instagram, right? We're, we're end users. Um, but Instagram delivers a lot of value for us. It delivers connectivity, entertainment, communication, um, and so we're, we're willing to spend time on Instagram um, and engage it. So you can build an Instagram, right? Which is like end users will love it so much that they'll stick around and, and they'll deal with, and then ultimately someone will pay 
to advertise to those end users, right? And so I'm building really a B2B business economically, um, but from like a consumer engagement standpoint, it's a B2C business. So those happen all the time, right? And, and you know, then the bellwether isn't, are people willing to pay for it? It's, are they willing to engage it um, with a certain level of fervor and on a recurring basis significantly enough that I can believe that at some point I can like turn the advertising switch on. So that one works, um, but is hard to do, right? There are not so many Instagrams. Um, and then the other one is, look, I'm building something that's so complex and that like so revolutionary that it's going to take me years to build. But once it's ready, like people are going to pay billions for it. And, and that one I would just like forget about because um, it's really not the way startups scale. Um, like build a mini version of it, right? If, if, if in five years, 100% is going to be ready, like build 5% of it, a complete MVP, um, and then see if anyone like uses it or pays for it. Like, like big bang style businesses are very risky for you, like your time and uh, for funders. So it's pretty rare that people invest in those kinds of businesses. Okay, thank you very much. Um, another question is from Mike. How do you find those outsourcing there to build the prototype? Google. Just, just like search for it. They're all looking for business. Um, yeah. Okay. And they're, they're like, and their ratings online. It's yeah. You just Google it. Nice. Nice. Thank you very much. This has been very impactful. Um, okay. If you still have more questions, feel free to ask them, but what should be in a pitch that someone who's trying to raise funds, what thing you have in it? That's a really good question. So a few important components. One is, you know, what's the, the context in which you're starting this company or this product, right? So what's the, what's the challenge or the problem that you're solving? What's the unmet need? What's the untapped opportunity? So there's got to be a backdrop as to why this needs to exist. Um, most people start with problem. Um, we actually would start with like opportunity because people didn't know that like gaming was a hundred billion dollar business and that like Africa had like a lot of demographic factors that would lead it to be really uh, important. Um, so start with some context. Um, you need, you also need some explanation of your product or service. Um, you need uh, a team page, um, some articulation of your traction to date, um, and like where you want to go from here. Like, what are you going to do with the money? Um, I would say those are the core components of any pitch deck, which like from your first one before you have anything to when you're raising a series 
D or whatever, and it's a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars, you need, you need those, those features. And then depending on what stage you are, you can drill down into certain things. Right. Um, so like a deeper sense of like market size, market niche, competitive landscape, um, can become more important or does become more important. Um, more deep diving on your traction. Um, you know, at some stage traction, maybe we've built an MVP and we've tested it on 50 people and they each paid a dollar, right? That can be traction at uh, friends and family stage. Um, but, you know, as you move up, traction may be users, retention, um, conversion across your funnel, um, all the way down to revenue and retention of revenue and, and growth. Um, so, you know, those are all like stage specific, but regardless of where you are, you need to tell people why your business need to exist. What is it? Who's the team that's running it? And, uh, and what are you going to do with the money? very much for that okay i'm gonna take one more question and this is from Grotech ng we just started our venture i've been able to make, take some actual payment for service which next step is to raise funds. best way to start conversation. um i think it kind of goes back to the beginning uh of what i outlined um, one, like you don't halfway raise money, right? Like if you're fundraising, fundraise and fundraising at times can be the biggest initiative in your company. Like I, I would say for most of this year have spent 80% of my time fundraising, right? So like don't halfway do it, decide you're going to do it and do it. Um, and then, yeah, the steps are like I outlined. Figure out who the potential investors are. Um, that can be Google, talking to your friends, uh, reaching out you know, to the folks at Ingressive, um, whatever, draw up a long list, um, get your materials prepared, You know, sort of do some mock tests with your materials in front of other people, get some advice and some criticism and adjust. Um, and then, Talk to as many people as you can in as short a period of time as you can and learn from every conversation and see how it goes. Thank you very much. If you just joined in, again, this is how I got funded here on Capital, and I am talking to Cordell of Carry Fest. For the last 40 minutes, we've talked about how he raised funds for his business. He's talked about the deck, getting co founders, money from angel investors, from VC. The couple, but the good thing is, I'm going to save this on our page. But for now, we're wrapping up, and now I'm going to ask for Dell words for anyone who's just starting. Words of advice. Biggest words of advice, I would say the. The number one thing that you need to do to be successful or even survive as a founder is learn how to manage your own psyche. Um, like starting a company is really hard. 
you put all your personal capital into it, all your political capital, uh, you spend a lot of time, and it's really, really uncertain. So it can be a very, very challenging psychological endeavor. Um, and if you don't take care of your own mental health, if you don't uh, learn how to roll with the punches and deal with the ups and downs, you will break down. And at the beginning, you are your company. So if you break down, then your company breaks down. Uh, so number one thing is take care of your physical and mental health. Um, and yeah, everything else after that is a learning process. And so that's it for today on How I Got Funded. Thank you very much for joining me for today. Thank you for having me. And so to everyone else, just join us on our board watch it. See you next time. Bye. Do have a lovely day, Cordell. Bye. Bye, everyone.